I am tired and sick of war. Its glory is all moonshine. It is only those who have neither fired a shot nor heard the shrieks and groans of the wounded who cry aloud for blood, for vengeance, for desolation. War's hell. William Tecumseh Sherman. Welcome to Coffeehouse. As a gas station with an army marches on Ukrainians without provocation, it makes sense to take stock of the underbelly of civilization. The art of war dates from the 5th century BC and has been a long-lauded military treatise from a time where everyone you knew and loved could be wiped out if you failed to heed these wise traditions. This is also one of the three books I had read at some point that everyone should read every day, some part of. The three books are The Art of War, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and The Art of Public Speaking. So, as always, we will be looking at the contents of the book, then we're going to do an analysis where we discuss the merits and failures of the book, and then we're going to talk some big picture stuff where we try to wrap it all into a broader understanding of the world and its inhabitants. And for my purposes, I would really appreciate it if you picked up the book that I just published, Once Upon a Vampire. It is just a little cheeky side note in the midst of everything serious that we talk about, and it'll make you laugh, I promise. So on to the contents. Not just the philosophical profundities that have survived the test of time, this book also has a very practical guide to warfare that may or may not be in any way applicable today. So we start off talking about the five elements of a leader in warfare. These include the moral law, heaven, earth, the commander, and method and discipline. So what are these categories? What are these elements? The moral law means people will have a complete accord with their ruler. Heaven is night and day, cold and heat, and the seasons. And again, these are things that you have to be able to, as a general, as a leader, you have to be able to take these things into account and manage these things when you're going into battle. Earth, the third one, is distance, great and small, open ground, and narrow passes. And the commander, like the personality or virtue of the commander, these include wisdom, sincerity, strictness, and courage. And then method and discipline is the fifth category, and that is roads, regiments, rank, and expenditures. So all the kind of nuts and bolts of the army. And we come to probably the most famous and most important quote out of this book, all warfare is based on deception. And so many of the precepts that are detailed in this book are based on that basic idea. One of the other related, I thought is just really well stated, is use baits to entice him, feign disorder, and crush him. I always loved that. I think I heard that for the first time in maybe Metal Gear Solid. I think I saw the quote because they would have these quotes throughout the game. But wherever I had heard it the first time or read it the first time, I always loved it. Baits to entice him, feign disorder, and crush him. It's so final at the end there. If your enemies of choleric temper irritate him, <laughs> that is one that showed up in The Sopranos. Tony says it at one point, and I, I always love this one too. So some other things that some other guidance that Sun Tzu provides uh, to the would-be general. Cleverness has never been associated with long delays, so you can't be clever and slow. That's not how that works. If you know yourself and your enemy, you will win a hundred battles. If you only know yourself, then you'll win nine out of ten. And if you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will lose every battle. Of course, very important ideas there. If you know yourself and your enemy, you will win a hundred battles. But if you only know yourself, you're still going to do pretty well. You're going to get 9 out of 10. So that uh, I've seen a number of quotes recently, I think it was on Twitter or something like that, about how knowing thyself, you know, is the most important first step. And I would definitely agree with that. 
the skillful fighter wins by making no mistakes. So that seems uh, axiomatic and not especially profound, but still, there's something to that. There are only direct and indirect attacks, but the way that those attacks can be made, direct or indirect, uh, you have virtually infinite combinations of the way that, that can that can happen. Other things arrive early for a fight, you know, just like for an interview, arrive early, appear at points where the enemy must hasten to defend itself. And then we get a discussion about tactical maneuvering, and he states that this is the most difficult thing to get. You have to know the terrain, and one way to know the terrain is to use local guides. So people who are not necessarily aligned with whoever your enemy is, you can find local guides to determine the places that make the most sense for battle. Move only if there's a real advantage to be gained. And one thing about axioms, of course, is that there are always going to be exceptions, <laughs> and uh, they're just going to be general guidance. But I wonder how this kind of conflicts with the idea of just plain old-fashioned aggression. One thing that I've taken a great interest in more recently, which is kind of strange, but it's something that's fascinating to me, is professional fighting games because there's something about that the ways that you have to play those games to be one of the best in the world it really is kind of this weird microcosm of the way that conflicts happen when it comes to like spacing and and the way you have to throw feints you have to get your your enemy to react so that you can attack them in the way that you really meant to attack them and and all of those things if you watch those you really see all those principles kind of played out and all the preparation before the battle and everything like that Oh, here's another one. Uh, I really like this one. You must have the rapidity of the wind and compactness of the forest. <laughs> That's a wonderful one. And when I was studying uh, the French Revolution and Napoleon in undergrad, his most important characteristic to his, his military was mobility. Mobility was number one. It was the most important thing that he could possibly have, and he did everything that he could to increase his military's mobility. And so this makes a lot of sense is to have the rapidity of the wind and compactness of the forest. And then another aspect of war that you don't really consider, you know, because we've only seen it, seen it mostly in Hollywood terms. Um, there are some people who obviously have actually been there. But when your forces, and this is a different kind of war too. So back then, you know, when your forces plunder an area, they took over an area and take the resources. Then you divide the plunder amongst the men. So your soldiers. And you wonder how that changes the dynamic. If, if they're motivated to get the, the plunder from a given area, uh, I'm sure back then that was a big part of it. And But today, you know, Know, there would be all sorts of war crimes if, if this is what you were doing. But who knows, maybe we're going back to a time such as this. So uh, it's little little things also along the way. You know, this is a very short book. It's very, very short. So you can read it in a sitting very easily. But so there are little things along the way, like after crossing a river, get away from the river. <laughs> get away from it. But if your enemy is crossing the river, wait until they get about halfway across the river and then attack. You should cross salt marshes very quickly, and you should have rising ground to your right. When you're on a flat country, you should have rising ground to your right and to your back. should be risen ground. When it comes to all battles, they all prefer a high ground to a low ground, and all prefer light to dark. And you should camp on hard ground to avoid disease, which is an interesting precept. It's something that intuitively seems correct, is that you should be on a hard ground and you're less likely to get diseased if you're on a hard ground, but it's not something you necessarily understand. The virology, <laughs> you're not a, a you know, studier of bacteria or biologist to understand why this is the case. 
And another one, watch for whispering dissatisfaction amongst the rigs. If you have a bunch of people, a bunch of your soldiers, who are kind of whispering in groups, you, you have to be concerned about dissatisfaction and mutiny in the ultimate end. And in that vein, when the general is too good, but the men are too bad, then you're going to have a failure. You, you know, your uh, army isn't going to work well. But if it's the other way around, that the soldiers are too good and your general's not good, then you're going to have a mutiny. And a general that doesn't care about fame or disgrace, just in general. So those those kinds of aspects of human interaction, but only what is best for the country, then he is a jewel of the country. There's this whole section on fire and how to use fire, and that you should always be ready to be able to start something on fire, and, and how you should act thereafter. And then this another whole section on the use of spies, and how you use inside spies versus outside spies, and how you know one type of spy can lead to garnering more spies. And, and certain spies you can use better for disseminating false information to your enemy. So uh, a lot of very important and interesting tactical considerations when it comes to conducting a war. So like I said, this is a very short book, so we're going to already be moving on to the analysis. But obviously, I recommend everybody uh, just picking this up and having a read of it. Even if, if you can, one of those three books, you could read one of those every day, just a little piece of it, like a chapter from each one every day. I'm going to keep trying to do that. I missed a couple of days here, but I'm going to keep trying to do that. And those three books, just to make sure we're on the same page here, were The Art of War by Sun Tzu, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and The Art of Public Speaking by Dale Carnegie. I can't remember who wrote The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. I think it was... Was it the book that Lawrence of Arabia was based on? Written by T.E. Lawrence. Okay, so one of those three books. Read a little bit of it every single day. But in the analysis, of course, uh, The Art of War by Sun Tzu is one of the most important books in history. My favorite quotes from there, just to take a few... All Warfare is Based on Deception, obviously, is an excellent one. Another one, Appear Weak When You Are Strong and Strong When You Are Weak. That's an application of that whole idea. Quote, Let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night, and when you move, fall like a thunderbolt, end quote. Great one, fall like a thunderbolt. Quote, in the midst of chaos, there's also opportunity, end quote. Now, obviously, you're going to have a number of self-help throwaway kinds of books that are going to echo a lot of these sentiments, but I don't think it can be done as well as it can in a book like this. So there, of course, is a question of what is applicable. There's a lot of land talk and <laughs> just the ability to use land. And we're in the era of pilotless drones and, you know, satellites and that sort of thing. So you wonder how much is that's going to be necessary going forward. But um, even in the most recent conflict uh, that we've ever experienced. There was actually talk early on that the Russians had to invade now because they had to be worried about the thong that would come in the spring in Ukraine. So when marching their tanks across uh, Ukraine, if it had thawed, then they would they would have mud and it would make it much more difficult and their tanks would get stuck in the mud. So there was a big tactical consideration for an actual ground war that's occurring in Europe right now. It's crazy. <laughs> Anyway, moving on to the big picture. One thing I don't know how much we talked about. We did talk about um, people having a limit to the number of things that they can have in their cognitive mind at any one time. And I think the number was seven plus or minus two elements. And we didn't define any of that. But that's that's what we're looking at. But the big picture is that if you look at distraction just in general as a method of battle or not just uh, the kind of battle, the kind of warfare that we're seeing, you know, in Europe right now, but just as a method of any kind of conflict is that if you increase the number of elements, then you are straining your opponent's ability to manage cognitively all the things that are before them. So even in like professional fighting games, uh, that's what feints are for, is that you pretend you're doing one thing to get them to respond, to get them to react so that they have multiple things to think about. And 
instead of just being sitting there and waiting for something to happen. It's really a question of bandwidth, and that's likely why it's better to be aggressive just in general. In any kind of game that you're playing or anything in life, it's generally better to be aggressive. But one thing uh, I think is important to keep in mind is that men like Putin did not consolidate the power they have by thinking in narrow bands, and he's a former intelligence operative. It's not just about Putin or Russia. There are a cabal of human beings with a much greater will to power than any of us. They obsess over it. And they make decisions about life and death of others on this planet on a daily basis. That's not something that we engage in or really understand or really are part of. It's just a completely different world. So generally, anything that world leaders are doing, they are doing it for several reasons. And the least of which is for our benefit. There is a political class whose survival long term is dependent upon convincing you that you need them. Never forget that. Okay, so that was Coffee House, and we talked about The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Recall, I have that book. I should have, uh, there should be a link or something in the description if you would be so kind as to check that out, see if you like it. And otherwise, that was this episode. Next episode, I think we're going to do another chunk of the big one that we're working on right now, which is Yak Pangsep, The Archaeology of Mind. There's just so much coming out of that, and we're going to have to do a, a whole build episode where we try to kind of lay out the structure of a new understanding of psychology just in, in general, and hopefully that'll come at the tail end. But we'll have more books and more stuff in between, uh, just because it's fun. it's fun to do this, even though it's in the worst possible circumstances. It is it is fun to address these kinds of ideas and look at these kinds of books. It just feels uh, really odd to not be part of any of this history and not be uh, party to the fashioning of the future world. But we should we should change that. We should do what we can to change that. So anyway, Coffee House, I'm Jack. I appreciate it, and I will see you on the next one. All right, bye. <laughs>